Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Friday, June 25th, 2021, and this is episode 23B. As it is a Friday B episode, we're going to start the week off actually with a pick list. We're going to wait for the Loki stuff till after the pick list. Um, and I do have the comic books listed in order. There's a lot of things that I was extremely uh, happy with, a few things that I was kind of on the fence about. Um, but then some just generally good stuff that we'll talk about. All of that when we start off here in just a little bit before going into Loki episode three. This was a little bit more of a meh episode than I think anybody really expected. Uh, but we'll go over everything. There were some big reveals and stuff like that. So we'll go over all of that in due time before going over very briefly the latest episode, which is episode 11 of Superman and Lois. It was kind of just the meh stuff that it's been recently, but it had an interesting ending, so we'll go on and talk about that. And then we have two trailers that came out this week, one for the DCEU Suicide Squad trailer, excuse me, the Suicide Squad trailer, and then for the MCU, we had the Shang-Chi trailer number two, or rather the full trailer instead of the teaser. Finally, it was released yesterday, so we will talk about both of those trailers, uh, and then we will wrap up the podcast with a little bit of news about what Marvel is up to with the Amazing Spider-Man comic universe. Um, they seem to be taking things in a new direction coming up starting in October here, which they just announced, and so I will talk about that and what we kind of think is going on with the upcoming Amazing Spider-Man comics, because it is a big switch up. Um, so it is, if you're interested in the Amazing Spider-Man series or in Spider-Man, Peter Parker, or any of his kind of family of characters, then definitely stick around and we will get to that after we cover everything else from the episode. There wasn't too much news as far as this week went. Um, aside from the trailers, um, not a whole lot of uh, like updates and stuff. No casting announcements, things like that. Last week we had, I know, a few pictures of Sasha Calais' Supergirl, um, which I believe I talked about in the last episode. Um, and then there were some more pictures that had come out I think, but it's all pretty much the same stuff. Um, so before we get started here with all of this glorious uh, nerd content, I will go ahead and plug myself. Uh, <laughs> this podcast is available most places that podcasts stream, including YouTube, where I also have action figure review videos. Um, the Mezco Wonder Woman video will be posted hopefully this weekend because I am getting the replacement parts in today that got lost somehow immediately. Uh, so gotta have those to finish the video and I will finally be able to do that. And that will be the next thing up on YouTube aside from my regular podcast content. Uh, you can find me on social media, Instagram. My very comic-based Instagram is Anna with the comics. My Twitter, which I don't use that much besides plugging my podcast, is Savage She Geek because Sensational was too many letters. And my website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. Got to have the Weebly extension in there or you won't go anywhere. Um, because I don't pay for it, but that is, uh, currently where I am posting my podcast notes, which is the podcast more or less in written form, things that I kind of take note of through the week to remind myself to mention, um, what, as I go through the podcast. So in case you don't like listening to my voice or you are a person who is hearing impaired, you can read the podcast more or less instead of have me talk about it. And that is up to date. I am finally getting into the swing of getting all of that up to date after each podcast episode. We also have on my website, which I'm really excited about, my character reading lists, which some 
of my favorite female characters across different publishers. Um, notably, I have finished the completed reading list and commentary for every appearance of Madeline Pryor as well as Clea. Um, both Marvel characters. I have a lot of Big Bard is done, but it's handwritten, so I have to transfer it into the computer at some point. Um, but this is something that I've, a project that's kind of been ongoing that I've been really um, excited about, and there may be things that come out of that later on. I don't know. We'll see kind of what I end up doing with this. Um, but it's more or less just uh, all of the notable appearances of these characters. I know I have a lot for magic also down. I have a lot for magic done, but um, not as much. I'm, I'm finished with uh, the Clea and the Madeline Pryor one. So if you are fans of those characters or have any curiosity about those characters, definitely check that out because um, I literally go through every issue and what happens in them with them. So um, I think that's about good with me plugging myself. <laughs> uh, so well, let's go ahead and get started with the episode. Since I'm starting off with the comic book pick list this week instead of Loki episode three, if you would like to jump over the pick list and get straight into what I have to say about Loki and the things after that, go ahead and jump to about 48 minutes into the episode um, and I will be wrapping up the comic book pick list. I'll be wrapping up my bitch session about Captain Marvel. <laughs> You'll see when you get there. Uh, and then going into Loki episode three. The comic book picks this week I'm going to be talking about in order of my enjoyment because I felt like that would be kind of fun. Uh, Homesick Pilots number six, Harley Quinn number four, Batman Reptilian number one, Fantastic Four Life Story number two, Marvel Voices Pride number one, Silk number four, Jonah and the Impossible Monsters number four, and then Captain Marvel number 29, which I did not particularly enjoy. Um, so just be aware that will be more or less just a bitch session on Odin's Captain Marvel issue. So let's go ahead and get started off at the top of the list here with Homesick Pilots number six. Um, phenomenal stuff. I, I keep, after every issue, I think I love the series more and more. <laughs> um, I am also really thrilled to have kind of recently figured out it seems to be an ongoing series which I'm really excited about after this issue because we got to see all kinds of uh, all kinds of room where they can create further plot and add to the plot and push things around and there's just a lot of space for them to do stuff after this issue and I'm really really excited to see what they do with that for some reason I had had in my head that this was only going to be like a 10 issue series or something definitely doesn't seem that way now they're going into a second arc and the second arc is probably going to take a while to uh, play out at least the five issues that the first one did so I am very very excited for the future of homesick pilots this issue entirely, I was gonna say pretty much follows just Meg. It entirely follows just Meg, who is the sole surviving member of the Nuclear Bastards band who were slaughtered by the haunted house early on in the series. Meg survived. She um, was like trapped in the house, we have to assume, because she comes out weeks later. Uh, comes out of the house after, or I think it was weeks later. Uh, it's been a while since I read that issue, but she comes out after the fact, completely covered in blood, and it's permanently on her. No matter what she does, no matter how many showers she takes or what she wipes off, the blood is still on her. The blood will wash down the drain as she showers, but then it will be on her again as soon as she comes out from under the water. It's very, very weird. She's un completely unable to get it off of her, um, and now she is being used. Uh, I guess used by these government contractors who want to 
get her to pilot like a mech suit the way that um, Ami, the kind of main character of the series, piloted the house in the last issue. They see that as a threat, um, especially since Ami was technically using the ghosts that live in the house to power it. Um, so they want to have like a weapon against stuff like this. Of course the government does. They find out that there's ghosts and they can do stuff like this. Of course they're going to want to have that in their wheelhouse. <laughs> That's the government for you. Um, so they collect ghosts aside from trying to get Meg to get this uh, mech thing and have it work, which it has yet to work. It keeps exploding. So clearly that's a problem. <laughs> uh, they collect ghosts. So that was a really, um, that was a really interesting thing to kind of learn. We learned that most ghosts are miserable, uh, presumably caught up in their last tragic moments before they died. But we also learned that salt will neutralize that darkness in a way and kind of bring out the true form. They use an example of one of these contractors who takes the salt pill and then he goes up to this ghost, which turns out to be his grandfather who raised him. But he can only see that when he approaches it with the salt to neutralize the like ghostly negative dark side of it. Um, so that's, that's a really, really neat concept. And it brings up all kinds of questions. They have a room full of these ghosts. They're all, they're trapped in the room because they're all surrounded with salt circles and the item or the items that they are attached to are surrounded by salt circles. So they can't leave. Um, very, very, it's cool, but it's also like extremely twisted in a way that they're using these kind of tormented souls to do their um, self-defense contracting. You're not, not self-defense, but government defense contracting. So kind of, kind of dark, but really neat concept. Um, so the dude who was at the, at the, at the house, none of this makes sense. The, <laughs> there's a guy here who is a Meg's friend. Um, he was part of, I believe the homesick pilots band, unless I'm getting him mistaken with another character, but he is kind of friends with her after the last issue. They went through some really weird shit together <laughs> with that, with when Ami was piloting the house and Meg was recently out of the house covered in blood. Um, they're going through some stuff. So they're now here together. He's kind of useless to the government contractors because he doesn't have the like connection to the ghost that Meg has being covered in the blood from the house. Um, but still they have him here to kind of like, cause he knows too much first of all. And also because he, they're friends or whatever, they think that he's going to help her stay calm and, and do what she needs to do for them. Right. So they tell him all this stuff, not her specifically, they tell him all this stuff about the ghosts, um, about the salt pills and how that helps stuff and blah, blah, blah. And basically he puts together, um, gee, you have a way to fix her with these salt pills. You can pretty much guarantee if she was to take those salt pills, the blood would probably fall off of her because it's, it's ghostly blood, right? It's connected to that ghost house. Um, and they're not telling her about that because they know that they want to use her. So he sneaks her some of those salt pills, um, which she of course takes and the blood does finally come off of her turning instead into a triple faced bloody monster, begging her to kill the house, the house, the, the haunted house, because it won't let them be at peace. I kind of have to assume that those, that bloody monster thing is her bandmates uh, because they were destroyed in the house. She was in the house too, but didn't die. It's like, I'm just kind of assuming things here until we get firm answers, but it's really, really cool. Um, it's begging her to kill the house. The thing is the house was already 
from what we've seen destroyed in the last issue when this honestly terrifying VHS tape ghost creature thing attacks the house and drags it into the bay, um, presumably killing Ami, who was piloting it, and her friend who was inside with her. We don't know any of this for sure, um, but the fact that this, you know, bloody monster thing that's been attached to Meg this whole time is now able to communicate with her thanks to the salt pills that it's the house that's keeping it around and it wants the house to get destroyed because then they can go and rest because they're dead (laughs) and they're being held in this ghostly existence of blood dark as shit but I am so into it uh since this issue mostly just covered well only just covered what happened on Meg's side of things I have no doubt the next issue is going to start off immediately filling in on what happened to the house with Ami her friend possibly even the VHS creature thing because that's been mentioned a lot apparently that was one of their ghosts um one of these government contractors people's ghosts who they were buddies with so really really funky stuff that we're working with but I am super super into it um, I definitely recommend Homesick Pilots. It's only on issue six, starting up the second arc. Um, fantastic, fantastic art. Just really, really beautiful, um, beautiful fitting art. And just the story is, is so fun. Harley Quinn number four. Um, once again, it is such a nice thing to be able to pick up these issues every month and really, really actually enjoy it. I am a big Harley Quinn fan. I'm a fan of the character. I love the character of Harley Quinn, but it tends to be and has been very hard to find what I might consider from my own perspective quality comics starring her in like any kind of accurate way. I've read, I've read a few issues of pretty much each Harley series from probably the past decade or so, but I've never really enjoyed any of it aside from, I remember there was one Christmas special, I think it was like 2020 or 20, I think it was 2019 Christmas special that I really liked with her, Um, but it was super tied into what was going on in the series, and the series was definitely not, um, it wasn't something that it was it was like a non non canon series for whatever reason I don't know why for a long time they gave her these Harley Quinn series that were outside of the main DC canon I don't really know why but um, but that was also part of what made it really hard to get into those series because it's not even related to anything it's not the real Harley it's not the Harley that's in the comics it's just this other Harley that's got her own series so I I just I just didn't really get any of that stuff. Um, I love the covers. You know, Frank Cho has had several cover runs on Harley Quinn that have been phenomenal. Um, and this I this one, actually, I believe it was um, Chris Anka had a beautiful DC Pride cover with Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, which I am so happy I got. Um, but this, this Harley series, this I jive with. This feels like a proper, um, appropriate Harley Quinn for the character. Um, I have to mention also about this issue, specifically this issue, I'm pretty sure, um, the paneling was stupendous. I don't know if that was Rosmo or an assistant. There was a third, there was a fourth name on the cover, but not on the credits of the issue. So maybe that person was doing layouts or something. Um, but this issue's paneling was particularly 
excellent. From scenes of elevators going down to Hugo Strange's drug-induced acid trips for his patients to Harley just kind of doing her Harley thing, it was really hard to miss how particularly great the layouts were in this issue. Uh, I already have said before, Rossmo's art style um, makes these pages such a delight to read, so those layouts were really just the, the beautiful cherry on top of an already great issue artistically. Uh, the issue also, um, for what was going on in it, was really, really fun. I, I, Stephanie Phillips has such a excellent grasp of Harley Quinn's character. She's kind of been working with her on and off for the past year or so, um, but I am just so impressed with her grasp of how to portray Harley Quinn as accurately her without feeling like you're going too far in any direction. It is spot on what you want from the character of Harley Quinn. Uh, the issue starts, it's starting off with Harley Quinn playing, because remember the last issue ends up with her in the sewer and Grundy comes up and she's like, oh shit. Uh, she's now, of course, playing, what else are you going to do in the sewer with Grundy? She's playing sewer chess. Sewer, trash chess. Chess out of trash items they found in the sewer. I just want to make sure we all understand that. Um, and she's, of course, talking about her problems. And Grundy being Grundy does his, like, born on a Monday, you know, Grundy stuff, Solomon Grundy. Um, <laughs> but he also has a little, he, he kind of, um, he does, he says things, he'll say a word or two, and it's kind of like when, when Groot does his I am Groot and people respond, like he just said a whole, you know, philosophical statement. It's kind of like that with how she talks to Grundy. And I don't think that's anything really about Grundy. I definitely think that's just Harley being Harley and taking, you know, his little grunts and whatever and, and making it into, I totally get you, Grundy. I know what you're saying when really it's just her basically therapying herself. Is that a word? Therapying? Therapizing? I don't think so. I think I just made that up. But she, she so she's, she's doing this, like, kind of talking to him, talking at him while he does his little Grundy thing, and they play trash chess. Um, she compares herself to other heroes, and in this really funny... I really, really enjoyed this, and I can't quite put my finger on why, but it's it's very... It's so, it's so something that she would do. He, he sits there and he reminds her as she's comparing herself to Batman and whatnot. You Harley Quinn. And it's so simple, and it's just Grundy being Grundy and saying pretty much the max of what he can actually say. But to Harley, coming from someone like Grundy to her, it made so much sense. And she sits there and she goes, oh my gosh, Grundy, I didn't think about it that way. You're right. Me Harley Quinn. <laughs> and then she goes off, um, she decides to go off and save her pal later on from um, Hugo Strange, who's doing the experiments on the the former clone, not clone, uh, clown, uh, Joker, clowns, whatever you want to call them, his minions. Um, and she goes off to save him. And to my absolute dislight, she's like trying to figure out how she's going to get into the building. And she reminds herself, me Harley Quinn. <laughs> Oh my god, dude. I love this. Uh, she dresses, she ends up dressing in like low key crepe crusader outfit because you see the shadow of it and it looks like Batman's shadow, but then it pans over to her and she's wearing this like it's like a pink blanket or something as a cape. And I think she's got like a hat on and she's holding her fingers up like the little bat ears. <laughs> I really love this series. This is, it just, it gets her so well, um, in a way that 
fits in the DC universe right now. It's not an outside thing. It's not a secondary thing. It just, it works so well. And I just like, I, I hope this series goes on for forever. I love it. Now, before I really get into Batman Reptilian number one, I have to stop for a second and appreciate comic book art. Um, obviously it's great. And we take, we definitely take it to van it, take advantage of it as comic book readers, take it for granted. That's what I was trying to say as comic book readers. Um, but sometimes you have these moments where you just have to stop and appreciate it fully for a moment. And I definitely think I read homesick pilots and Batman reptilian back to back this week. Um, and going from those comment from one comic to the next, they both have, stunningly fantastic interior art um but they are both so wildly different and i can't imagine any other art style even trying to take on either series but they're so ridiculously perfect and so incredibly different um it's just you just have to stop and appreciate that from the the oh gosh what would you even call it it's not cartoony artwork in homesick pilots it's clean <laughs> it's clean and he uses a lot of um color holds instead of black lines around our, the characters he'll use a lot of colors instead of especially like whites and grays which makes it pop especially in the ghostly stuff oh it's so great and then you get batman reptilian here with liam sharp and it is oh I think Liam Sharp is doing oil painting for this. I think every panel is oil painted. I could be definitely wrong, but that's what it looks like. So you can imagine how drastically impressive this is. Just had to get that out. Art appreciation moment. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> Batman Reptilian number one. The first page of this issue had a dedication from Liam Sharp to Steve Dillon, who passed away in, I believe, 2019. Dylan was a longtime partner of Garth Ennis for Garth's writing. Dylan would often do the art. He did all of Preacher, um, as the, a large, very, very large chunk of The Boys, something like the first hundred issues, I believe I was told. Um, they have worked together, had worked together for a very long time. Apparently, this series was meant to be another team-up of Garth Ennis with Steve Dillon, um, but he unfortunately passed away a few years ago and I want to read this to you, the dedication from um, Liam Sharp to Steve Dillon because Liam Sharp is the second choice artist for this apparently um, and he was the perfect, perfect alternative. So I'll read this dedication in case you are just curious or if you're a fan of Steve Dillon. It says, For Steve Dillon, a big, a big brother to many of us, the script of this book was meant for him, and I would rather have him here by far than be drawing it for myself. I'm doing my best to make him proud, but that said, I can feel him over my shoulder, chuckling a little, saying, No, mate, you do you. Shame to waste it. How beautiful is that? Um, from one professional to another, from one art fan to another, from one artist to another, it was it's very appropriate. Um... And it was just really nice to see there. Wasn't expecting to get some feels at the beginning of this issue, but we did. Um, the way the way this whole issue does play out is very spooky. You get this incredibly dark. And do remember this. I'm I'm listing this third on my like 
in order list of favorite things, but it's probably tied for first with Homesick Pilots and Harley Quinn, um, because all three of these were so, so great, such great issues. Um, you get this incredibly dark, shadowy Gotham, which is, of course, perfect for Gotham, and you get a Batman who is clearly drawn as the people of Gotham must see him. He is hulking, he is huge, he is oddly lie. You don't really see him moving ever, but he does move. Uh, you, he is like a ghostly or demonic caped figure. And Sharp actually goes as far as to draw Batman's cape, the ends of it, in like smoky swirls to kind of add to that spookiness. So when he walks, it kind of swirls out behind him. But what's really interesting about it to me um, is I'm actually not sure if that is actually a more literal translation of what this Batman is. Is he partially demonic? Um, is that part of what he is and why he looks this way? Or is this really just like a caricature of what he appears to be to the citizens of Gotham? I don't know. We know at some point there will be this monster, this reptilian monster involved, but we don't know who it is or how it's going to come to be. We can assume it's going to be Batman because, you know, Batman reptilian. Um, granted, you know, I haven't read any of the solicitations for the next issues, which are out. Uh, I don't want to spoil this for myself, really, so I haven't read those. Uh, and they may have the answers to what is going to happen in the series, kind of. You can put things together well enough with the solicitations. Uh, but there is definitely something supernatural about this Batman, I think, in the way that he moves. Uh, he is also terrifying. <laughs> Written to be just an absolute nightmare. Um, he has the scene while while he's trying to pry information from a criminal, Batman repeats kind of in different phrasings over and over again how he never kills. And after a little while, well, after the first time or two, actually, the threat is very clear. He will not kill you if you don't do what he wants. He will just maim you for life and make sure you're never not in excruciating pain for the rest of your miserable goddamned existence. So, in a strong way, it's a little scarier than just being threatened with death. <laughs> he, I think at one point he even came out and said, I will make sure you don't die. Like, I will bring you to the brink of death with the pain that you will be in, but I will make sure that you do not get the release of death. <laughs> That's dark and that is terrifying. <laughs> Another thing that's kind of going on in this issue, not kind of, it is going on in this issue, the criminals of Gotham are at each other's throats, brutally killing each other's gangs and leaders. Uh, that that was one of the dudes who Batman was, well, the dude who Batman was interrogating was one of the members of one of these gangs who had witnessed this whole thing go down, so he wanted to see what this dude had to say. Um, when in this issue we learn from him that the Riddler, I believe it's just the Riddler and the Penguin who have died? Uh, the Riddler got slit, I think they said, from chin to chest or something like that, from chest to crotch. So it was something like that. Um, and then the penguin was nailed to the ceiling. So that's pretty wild. Um, and the Mad Hatter was, he needed a tracheotomy, I believe is what they said, which is when they have to like, his, his, your lungs collapse or something. So yeah, they have to like give you an airway in your throat. And like you've seen it on shows, I'm probably I'm sure medical shows and shit. Um, so I'm wondering through all of this stuff, is this the beast doing this, or is this like somehow the effect of the beast's presence on people, on mankind? Because what the dude described was basically they were all in this meetup. They have this regular meetup to try and decide how to kill Batman, which is pretty funny because Batman was like, 
yeah, I, I'm aware of that. I used to go and listen in, but none of you can decide what to do, so it doesn't matter now. <laughs> Which is totally, totally awesome. It's it's 100% what you would expect from the various villains of Gotham. They get together to try and kill, decide how to kill Batman, and they can't agree on anything. But in this particular instance, there was a shift in the mood, and suddenly everybody was at everybody's throats, and then later on, this stuff happens with the villains getting brutally murdered and whatnot. So something is happening in the background here. Um... Is, is this somehow the beast pops up and, or is it like a, the beast is like a metaphor maybe? I, that's very possible. But I think I heard that we're supposed to be seeing a monster in this at some point towards the end. So maybe not. I don't know. Well, I'm, I, I'm excited to find out. <laughs> um, they also do, uh, Sharp also does an excellent, really, really good job. This is something that Caitlin Yarsky does and why she's one of my favorite interior artists as well. Really good job of making characters look not only unique to each other, but to themselves. He draws near caricatures of the Batman's rogues gallery, complete with greasy hair, large, bulbous, crooked noses, furrowed, dirty brows, and disgusting, oily, porous skin. They look like the pinnacles of scum and villainy, and it is phenomenal. I think I've said that too many times in this episode. Phenomenal. Um, what really struck me as interesting, though, when I finished this issue, I didn't really discover it, and I, I didn't notice it until it was done. Um, the, I, there isn't really a solid plot of what we're following quite yet. It's so far. It's it's a lot of um, just normal day to day Batman and Gotham stuff, like the villains doing their meetup, Batman threatening this dude and crippling him in the street because he's a rapist. Um, you know, just kind of normal, somewhat unconnected things is kind of happening in Gotham. And yet, here I sat completely enthralled with what was going on in my hands and read it with probably more focus than most Batman stuff that I've read in my personal reading history. I don't know if that is thanks to Sharp's uncanny, unparalleled art or the vague mystery of when or what the the reptilian is and when they're going to show up potentially. But man, this ish this this won me over in all kinds of ways. You, it's, it's this black label, makes a lot of sense. You know, obviously not canon. Um <laughs> Not main canon, uh, but so, so good. I am just absolutely thrilled with this issue and for 100%, for sure, following through with it to the end. Um, it's, it's, it's delight. It's, it's <laughs> awkward laughter. Um, it's, it's so pretty. It's so pretty for, for, for a drastically dark and morbid kind of art style. It is there was a page early on in the issue where it's Batman and, and he's saying something in like one little text bubble, but you see it's like, it's him painted in one side of the page and then the other side of the page you get like this, the court, uh, the city hall of Gotham or the courthouse or whatever it is. And then there's like a few people in the background, like in shock for what just happened. But it's, oh my God, I want this as a poster it's it's just the most simple thing happening. It's just Batman standing there in front of the courthouse. But it is like, it is so phenomenal. I would buy this as a work of art. I would buy this as a print, whether or not it had the text on it. Like, I would buy it with the text, too. Like, it is 
so beautiful. This is one of those those series that you're gonna want to you're gonna want to take your time paying attention to the art because there is a lot to appreciate. Moving forward, uh, Fantastic Four Life Story number two. I really enjoyed the first issue of this because I felt like I had a clear vision of what could potentially happen. And I was totally right about one of those things. And that was uh, that Reed was going to be basically torn apart by his obsession with Galactus. He was going to destroy probably everything in his life with his obsession with Galactus. And that pretty much seems to be what's happening. By the end of this issue, Sue has left him for Namor, which I'll get to in a second because I got stuff to say about that good stuff. Um, but, uh, what was it saying? <laughs> Sue is listening for Neymar and, uh, Ben Grimm has moved back into his house because they're just going to be bachelors living together now. <laughs> um, he, his, his relationship with Sue obviously was destroyed. His relationship with his son was never really even kicked off the ground. <laughs> his son as a very young child calls him Dr. Richards and his mother has to remind him to call him to call him daddy. And then of course, after she leaves him, he's mad that his mother has left his father. And, and then she refers to him as Dr. Richards and he goes, he's not Dr. Richards. He's daddy. Of course now, because you know, he's not around. So he's mad and blah, blah, you know, you get it. Divorce kid stuff. Um, <laughs> there was some really funny stuff about this too. It takes place in the seventies, of course. So you got some fun references to pop culture in the seventies. For example, it took me a second to figure out what was happening in this panel, but then I saw his glasses and I figured it out. A panel of Yoko Ono and John Lennon sitting in there. It was, um, it was the, the strike, right? They did like a hunger strike or something or a bed strike, whatever it was in that glass room where they just stayed in bed and had the signs for peace in Vietnam all over the place. Um, Johnny apparently shows up then and plays guitar with them for John Lennon and Yoko Ono. I thought that was pretty funny. And then there was also a clip of Ben Grimm starring in Bonanza, which seems to fit somehow very well, even though I don't think it would be safe to put him on a horse, but, um, that's pretty funny. Starring in Bonanza. Um, so the thing about Sue and Namor, so that's pretty much the issue. The issue ends with, uh, NASA or somebody gets in contact with Reed and said, something's coming towards earth fast. It's something big. And he like freaks out. Cause obviously he's going to think that this is uh, Galactus, whether or not it will be. Um, the thing about Sue with Namor, I am somebody who is of the belief that, um, in my own personal headcanon for the Marvel main, you know, universe of comics, 616, Sue left Reed after, during Civil War, right? We know that happened. Sue left Reed during Civil War. She, like, she made sure she had, you know, she wrote him that letter about how she made fish for dinner to make sure that he was, you know, keeps his brain cells going and she had sex with him to make sure that his heart was healthy and made sure the kids were good in the day, you know, whatever it was. Uh, and then she leaves him make sure that it's all nice and set up for him to, you know, be by himself and goes. Uh, in my personal head canon, she never, they never got back together as a romantic married couple after that. Um, especially after certain things have been brought up recently or in the past few years in comics, like the idea of how Ben Grimm potentially is fixable, but because Reed is Reed, he has sort of mentally blocked that uh, because he doesn't want to take away the attention or whatever. Uh, same thing kind of goes for their son, how that was also supposed to be, um, 
is there a fix for his powers that were he's having a problem with his powers but then you know he's not fixing it and then the theory of oh well if it is fixable then you're just holding us back and um basically what i'm saying is reed's a piece of shit i never liked reed richards he and sue got married when he was like 40 and she was like 22 or something i don't understand why they keep doing these really fucked up relationships between superheroes but it's it's a long-standing tradition <laughs> um but that's basically in in my head canon sue never got back with him after that because why would she they've been together as partners um and as parents of their children and as members of the fantastic four but in my personal headcanon sue has not been romantic with reed and they have not been they're like separated but they're not publicly separated is kind of what i'm trying to say here and you know namor could get it you know we all we all know he's he's nice (laughs) i'm getting off track here uh i think that's pretty much all i got to say about fantastic four life story number two though (laughs) There was a bunch of short stories in Marvel's Voices Pride, so I kind of want to go over the ones. It's it's hard to remember all of them, and even looking at the names, it's hard to remember like what it is that's in the stories. So I'll just kind of go through the issue. I have it here in front of me. It starts off with the um, the intro by Luciano Vecchio, I believe. Uh, it's just he's writing and drawing it. So he goes through the various history of queer people in comics um, from way back when to now. Um, it's a really cute, it's a really cute, um, little intro, honestly, although I stand by that, uh, Kyle and Northstar would not have wanted a very public wedding in the middle of fucking Central Park, but yeah, that's just me. Um, and then you got a page with, uh, Wiccan and Hulkling by, oh gosh, that is Jim Chung, that's what it is. He's, he's very well known for those two, the Young Avengers arc that he did. Um, and we've got the Nico Moruno or Minoru, I always do that wrong, and Carolina Dean's story, which is very cute. You have a very brief Electra story where she um, takes down these stupid villains that have popped up once or twice in comics recently on rollerblades. I don't remember what they were in, but they were in something and I laughed. Um, She takes them down and then takes this girl out to drinks. It's really sweet. You get a Black Cat story where um, they take something out and then they go and they go on a date you get this um, Comic Con, New York CosCon is what it says, <laughs> but even this is a Comic Con, um, where this She Hulk cosplayer is attacked by Titania um, because she thinks it's the real She Hulk. And then, though it turns out that the woman cosplaying as She Hulk is actually a trans woman, um, and they go out and they have coffee and talk about her story, uh, about how, let me see. Uh, there was uh, there was something here I wanted to read. It just says, uh, "You want confusing? Try going through the wrong puberty." When I hit my growth spurt and ended up gigantic, I thought I'd always stand out. But then I found She-Hulk. She was gigantic. She stood out, and everyone loved her. Uh, that's a lot of why I like She-Hulk too, because I myself am a very um, broad-shouldered, five foot nine lady. So you know, it's um well above average. <laughs> Uh, let's see, you get a, uh, what is he, Speed? Is that how his name is? Um, shoot, I always remember their names. Or forget their names. I say remember, I can't do anything. Uh, Prodigy, it's Prodigy and Speed. Uh, I always forget that they are like a thing. They get a little story in here that's for some reason way longer than the others. And then we have an interview with former associate editor Chris Cooper. 
which seems pre- oh i guess he was back in 1996 when alpha flight um had what's his name come out they have a page of big gay moments <laughs> which i actually didn't see this before that is really hilarious um stuff like um kitty pride talking about uh anti-mutant sentiments and how that relates to homophobia you have north star coming out i have that issue um you have the marriage of kyle and north star which was the first same-sex marriage in marvel comics you have america's origin um which has been retconned so fuck everything right sorry i'm like not happy about that retcon at all um you have carolina dean and nico finally getting to kiss you have wicked and hulkling's wedding you know you have a lot of stuff in here but the only reprint that they actually have was the uh, north star coming out as gay at the back so then you have let's see some characters whose names i am terrible with remembering i guess this is anol and jonas gray malkin i don't really anol is a new mutants character currently oh no, that's a cute little page with dakin i forgot about that um then you get angel and iceman specifically Iceman, I guess. And then you get, let's see, Kyle and Northstar, of course, which the artist really draws Kyle to look, or sorry, really draws Northstar to look uh, elf-like, which I prefer that because they are kind of not human. Um, and then you get, I'm not sure, oh, this is Mystique and Destiny. Um, this is Karma, Magic, and, yeah, it's Karma and Magic. It was a really cute one. Uh, another with Dakin, who's hanging out with Aurora, and he talks about uh, how he's bisexual and stuff, so it's a really good one, honestly, I think. Uh, and then they get the first appearance of Somnus, who is a new character, uh, who I guess is a mutant. Um, so that's cool. Um, and then, of course, the big, the big uh, Marvel character spread at the back, which is nice. Um, I really, I did, I did enjoy this. Um, like I keep saying, you know, if, if they involve queer characters being queer in comics more often, then nobody can call this sort of thing pandering. It's just about Marvel following through and continuing to use these characters as important parts of comics and comic book history. Um, and that will, that's how you get things to change. That's how you get things to go up and to get better. So, um, really enjoyed this. Lots of good creatives on it. Um, some stories definitely better than others, but uh, it was fun. It was definitely fun. For Silk number four, we're going to go through these last ones kind of quick. The last ones are Silk, Jonah and the Impossible Monsters, and Captain Marvel. For Silk, it was kind of a quieter issue. Um, we got the interaction between uh, was, was the Ishii girl and the cat demon, um, Kasha or Sasha or whatever her name was. Um, the cat demon is kind of stabbing her in the back. Meanwhile, her dad is like this creepy robot dude, um, who Cindy was like encountered. And it was like, I had this really weird conversation about his life for some reason. Um, and then that, that was pretty much the issue. <laughs> um, there wasn't too much going on. It was good. Uh, just not a whole lot of notable stuff. Jonah and the Impossible Monsters number four was really sweet. Of course, I always have a hard time describing this because it's it's a really, really simple story, that how it plays out, but it's somewhat complex concepts when you really start to think about it. Um, and it's, it's, so, it's such a quick read also. Um, it's very straightforward. 
in this issue we had well the last issue we had ended with one of the monsters crashing into the cave that she and some other people had been staying in to stay safe um, so we have a big fight. We get to see some of the characters, really fun character designs. This lady has like robot arms and she gets um, thrown like a ball off this dude's hammer and he hits the monsters with the hammer and stuff. And then of course they're on the cusp of about to be destroyed by the monster when Jonah finally decides to get involved and puts down her snack and gets up and punches it one really good time and it is gone. <laughs> Um, so then everybody's asked to leave the cave because it's destroyed, and the two of them, Jonah and her sister Rainbow, go off with some dude who you can tell immediately is a seedy little bastard. Um, he says he's gonna take them to the next town, uh, to look for their father. However, I think his name is, like, Sano or something. He's definitely up to no good because he says, oh, I'm so glad to have met you, and you get, like, the final panel of his eyes, like, cinching clothes, looking all creepy and suspicious. Um, so he's definitely up to no good, and I wonder, I have to wonder if he'll be the key to finding out what Jonah is, because he has to have some kind of reason that he's going for these two girls. Um, I, I doubt something like this is going to have it be pedophile reasons. I don't think it's that kind of comic. Uh, so there's going to be, so, there's got to be some kind of reason that he's interested in Jonah. And I'm assuming it's because he knows something about who or what she is. Captain Marvel number 29. I'm not excited to talk about this. Um, the art was not consistent or fitting. Characters' faces look one way and another in the same page on panels in the same page. It was really inconsistent. Uh, the narration from Carol's side was extremely lazy and quite juvenile. Uh, the interaction between Rhodey and... Uh, Doctor Strange that we had was unbelievably bad. Um, Doctor Strange just had sex with Carol, which turned out to be nothing to either of them. But she literally just broke up with Rhodey, like, the day before that. And so now the two of them are talking, and somehow Rhodey knows that they've had sex, and he's just like, man, I'm not very happy with you. What? what? Your girlfriend basically just cheated on you with him. That's basically what happened. Especially if you guys- And they're gonna get back together after this? What? And you know that she fucked Doctor Strange and you're just gonna be like, Yeah, honey, let's get back together. What? What? Sorry. It's- I just don't get this. <laughs> uh, another thing. Continuing on. Um, I am really tired of Kelly Thompson using the eat your heart out line. I think she's done that half a dozen times in the past year in her comics. Please stop. Um, and I, I also, you know, Kelly, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit uh, when we get to it, but um, she has been also announced to be getting more new series that she's going to work on. And she's already phoning it in from what I see for this series. That's not a good sign. <laughs> the series has been so, so up and down. Um, a lot of good up points. L'Oreal stuff was way, way up. I loved it. This is definitely a low point. I do not like this. I think it's trash. Um, I have a goddamn Captain Marvel tattoo on my chest, so you understand that this character is very important to me, and I understand this character. I've read most of the issues she's ever been in. So, <laughs> um, I don't really get this. I don't know. It's just... It seems to be very juvenile of, oh, the drama if she had sex with this guy, and 
Oh, never mind. It doesn't matter. Oh, the drama of the two boys interacting. Oh, it's not really going to matter. They're going to get right back together. It's like, she wants us to think all this stuff is so dramatic and like, oh my gosh, so much drama. But it's, it's just, it just doesn't really hit. I don't know. Do you feel differently? Tell me. Cause I, it's, I'm, it's not getting me. Um, I, I'm, and, and also to, to make that as more frustrating, uh, I have confirmed by looking at the, the, uh, solicitations and stuff. They have a different writer, or sorry, a different artist on every single issue of Captain Marvel going forward. There is four issues solicited out there that we know about. All four of them have different artists. Why? That is like... How are you supposed to enjoy a series if it has absolutely no consistency in the art? And then the artists that they're picking seem to have really bad consistency between their own panels of the same people. How are you supposed to like that? Why are they doing this? Why? <laughs> I gotta stop. <laughs> now let's get into Loki. This is the third episode of Loki that did premiere this Wednesday on the 23rd. Uh, so if you have not seen that episode, I'm going to spoil it for you now. Or just don't listen to this. Um... Like I kind of mentioned in the beginning of this, I felt kind of weird. I feel kind of weird about this episode still. It wasn't necessarily bad in any way. Um, it just was not super great. Um, we have a bar that we've kind of come to learn that Marvel shows, because it's only been the past six months that we've even had those. We have a bar that we've easily come to find that they are well above. And this doesn't quite reach the bar. Um, I do have critiques of Sylvie's character, including how she hasn't been properly introduced by name, but we're already calling her Sylvie, um, since the captions confirm that is her name. But unless I'm mistaken, she hasn't been, that hasn't been said at all on the show. Um, I also have some critiques of her being a bit childish. Um, it's possible that that childish is just a bad translation of rage. Not great, slightly better. Um, that would be, I think, on the actress's or the director's fault then. Um, additionally, Sylvie was given very loose ideals. Um, she goes from wanting to murder Loki to being his pal and back and forth again several times in this episode. And I just, in general, I just feel like she's been very poorly characterized so far. Um, but this episode, um, it, it drops a lot of the crime procedural themes, which, um, I, I do think was a bit of a, a mistake. Uh, it felt like the rest of the show took a bit of a, a break, was put on hold for this episode, um, where we were given, like, basically this whole episode was to be given a very roundabout explanation of how the TVA workers are actually real people who are variants like our Loki in their lifetime, and now they're TVA people and don't even know that they were real people. Um, certain articles online I saw were suggesting that, well, they were referring to Sylvie as Enchantress already, which, you know, you could say, oh, it's an adjective, it's describing her. No, they capitalized it. <laughs> I've seen several articles do that, and I don't really understand why, um, because that is, that may end up being true, sure, but it's, it's definitely jumping the gun, um, 
and and honestly, it kind of takes away credit for Marvel's plots. Um, they do really good with plot twists and things like that. And to assume that we already know what's going to happen is a little bit like ballsy, right? It's a little bit like we, oh, we know what you're going to do before you even do it. And it's, eh, I don't know. While I have all my theories that I don't like and things like that, theories of things that I don't like, I suppose. Um, I'm not going to say that that's the one they're going to go by. I'm always hoping that they're going to prove me wrong. <laughs> always. Um, so we have no confirmation that Sylvie goes by that name. Uh, and it's also not the only explanation for who she is. Uh, while I know I'm very adamant that that's probably who she is and I will not like it, uh, there is also the theory that my husband and I were talking about last night that she could be the child of a future Loki, potentially this Loki in the future, and the actual Enchantress. Hence her knowing enchantments and having a totally different name than our Loki. She does not go by Loki, clearly. It would also explain how in this episode we find out that she has a totally different past than him, including a different mother. She didn't know who Freya was. She was raised by adopted parents the same way that Loki was, but they told her right off that she was adopted, which makes me wonder who her real parents were and leaves a lot of room for us to guess that these parents are going to end up being an integral part of the plot, a big reveal. So, you know, bing, bing, bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> Can't even say the noise is right. Maybe she's the daughter of this Loki in the future and Enchantress. Who knows? We'll, we'll find out eventually. Um, I'm still holding out that we're going to see the real, the real Lady Loki in the show. Um, by which I mean the tickle biddies and the the horns and the dress and the gold in her long black hair and the like basically drag queen but female like just just so extra I still want to see that in the show um, if Sylvie ends up being the only version of a Lady Loki that we get in the MCU I will be very mad at Kevin Feige not gonna lie that would be a horrific what is it what is it phase two feminism move what is whatever the whatever the phase of feminism was where they were like you can't be girly you can't have sex with men burn your bras if you wear a dress that makes you look pretty then you are a whore if you you know stuff like that now feminism has moved beyond that into accepting that there's all kinds of women who can do all kinds of stuff as long as it's truly who you are and you're not hurting yourself who cares um you care that's all that matters um but yeah so that would be a bad move to make is my point there if this was if this is the only lady Loki we're gonna get that's a that's that's not a good move. Um, let women be sexy. I get this is the MCU, but for Christ's sake, you can have a sexy lady Loki in the MCU. I think that's fine. You had Black Widow in that suit in Iron Man too. I'm pretty sure putting a sexy lady Loki in is acceptable. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so it turns out that Sylvie wanted to set those time reset charges off so that she could break into the TVA while all the TVA employees and everybody are busy fixing that mess that she creates from the sacred timeline because she wants to confront, I guess, or possibly kill the timekeepers. I don't know. She wants to encounter them for whatever reason. I guess kill them. I'm guessing kill them. I don't know. Uh, however, um, our Loki intervenes, of course, and they end up going to this planet called Lamentus One, which is our when, from when they arrive on it, it is hours, mere hours from destruction, from its own moon crashing into it. So, you know, really good timing on their part. 
uh, they come up with a number of escape plans, he and Sylvie, all of which fail, including the last one, which was to get into the last arc off the planet, which historically gets destroyed. And they're like, no, we can get there in time and save it. And of course, the arc gets destroyed right in front of them uh, before anybody gets snuck onto it or it takes off or anything like that. So the episode then ends with, um, you know, the the concern that the planet's about to get crashed into and they're all going to die. Um, but I don't, you know, you can't really worry for them because there are still three episodes left. So we know at least Loki's going to be fine, <laughs> which does make this whole situation a lot more humorous than dangerous. Um, but I can't help but think that that's not what Marvel wanted for this episode. It's just kind of how it planned out. Um, it's take it how you will, I guess. Um, the reveal that every member of the TVA has had a past life as a variant is a pretty big deal because it means that people like Mobius even potentially have a history we don't know about. That would explain why he's so obsessed with jet skis and the beach, because that was probably part of what he liked in his past life. Um, they're all under the impression, all the TVA employees are under the impression that the timekeepers uh, made them just to be TVA employees, and that's like all they've ever been in their existence. We can assume now that the memories have been, their memories have been wiped with the potentiality of them maybe being returned and remembering who they are. I don't know. Even if that doesn't happen all the way, you can bet they're going to feel some kind of way after learning that they have been lied to for all of eternity. That will not be a good feeling, I'm sure, to find out. Um, there is also the thought that there could be multiple versions of the same variants working for the TVA, such as multiple analyst Mobius working for, as analysts for Renslayer, right? Um, because we haven't seen, we know that there are other analysts, but we haven't seen any of them. So what if all of the analysts are just different Mobiuses from different variant time streams? That would be kind of funky. And that would be, I'm, I'm starting to think that these timekeepers are, have like a dark sense of humor. <laughs> uh, and it's kind of something that would fall along that, that vibe that I get from them. With all of that in mind... I have to assume that this whole series is going to end up with Loki popping up on the Timekeepers, who are going to end up being a very much Wizard of Oz situation. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, you know? It's it's going to be, whether it's Kang, Mephisto, I don't know, but I think it's definitely going to be that it's it's not going to be whatever they expect in a, in a Wizard of Oz kind of way. And if it does happen, um, all this stuff the way that I've been saying, oof, <laughs> Uh, that would be a bit too predictable for what's supposed to be like an MCU mystery show. So I kind of hope that I'm wrong about all this and that doesn't happen. Um, I don't know. It's you, I hope you see what I mean there because I don't, I want to be surprised. <laughs> I don't want to be sitting here going, ah, oh, that's what's going to happen and then be right about it. Sure, that feels good because you're like, oh, yes, I'm right about it. But if it starts happening too much, then you're just like, okay, well, the writing's just not as good. And I don't have anything to brag about now. <laughs> so kind of hope that I'm not right. Uh, kind of hope that I do. So we'll just, we'll just wait around and see how I feel about it when whatever happens, happens. <laughs> There's also, last thing, there is a lot of comparison to Doctor Who uh, that's been going on already for the first two episodes. After this third episode, I finally get it. Uh, time travel, obviously, being the most obvious one. Multiple versions, obviously, yeah. Here we go, that got solidified with the alien planet on the way to being destroyed. That was, um, 
that was definitely Doctor Who vibes. And I guess it fits, the dorky humor of Doctor Who kind of fits this episode as well. Um, Again, Sylvie being characterized as kind of childish would kind of go along with that. And there are like weird interactions of banter that felt like it was kind of poorly written and the the scenes of them fighting and very obviously choreographed run here now run there now look over there and i don't know um it was all very dorky and i'm hoping it picks up to be a little bit more quality feeling in the next episode for superman and lois episode 11 we'll just go over this really quick there was not a whole lot worth mentioning um, it was a very meh episode, but it was the ending that got me interested a little bit. Um, turns out that somehow they are using Edge's, like, Kryptonian-making machine on Clark, which is going to make him turn to their side, it seems. So we can assume that's how it went down on this other Lex Luthor's world, why he's anti-Clark Kent slash Superman. So that's kind of neat. Um, the episode ends with Lois calling him, as he goes by John now, right, because he's Steel, um, saying that he was right, um, and I have to wonder, is Jordan going to have to fight his dad? Because that would not go well. He would probably end up with his head getting ripped off. Just saying. <laughs> um, but I don't really know. I don't, I don't know. He can fight Steel, sure. Obviously Steel can take him down with the Kryptonite lights or with the Red Sun lights or whatever. But, um, then what was the point of making the sun the super? I kind of feel like that has to be a part of the plot for these last couple of episodes of the season. I assume we're in the last couple of episodes of the season. Hell if I know. I've been very jaded by this show. Um, started off really strong. Real strong. First episode I made a special edition podcast episode about because it was that good. Um, things have changed. It's, it's, it's definitely not held up to that bar. <laughs> but I'll, I'll keep watching to see what happens and I'll report on it so you don't have to watch. The two trailers that we got this week were Suicide Squad and Shang-Chi. Um, of the two, uh, we got... For Suicide Squad, we finally kind of get a more or less proper plot idea. Sorrow is some kind of government experiment in a government lab. Potentially not even a government thing. Could be an alien they found and just took. Because, you know, that's what we do. <laughs> uh, and they are going to have to stop Sorrow from escaping and taking over the world. Presumably something like that. Um... If I had to guess, most of these characters are going to die a horrible death. Um, Idris Elba's character telling Ratter that they'll uh, get out of this alive makes me think that she's definitely going to die. Um, Sharky Boy is totally dying. Whoever was his Mongol sister, Monk Al, she's totally dying. That's I feel like they've made that as obvious as they could. Um, the Beast, the, 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 the weasel guy, totally dying. Um... All I really expect to get out of this alive is Harley, Idris Elba, and um, Peacemaker. Yeah, that's 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 my expectation. Expect oh wow, expectations. <laughs> Words are hard sometimes. Uh, that's that's kind of all I have for the trailer. For this trailer, um, it's obviously going to be brutal, hardcore, hilarious fun. James Gunn does an excellent job of finding a balance between brutality and humor. Um, and he puts, he, on that same note, he kind of, he has the exact right taste of how much gore to put into something. He doesn't go overboard. He doesn't make it so that you have to look away from the screen, but he makes it so that you're like, oh, wow, that was gruesome. And then you move on. Um, which is like, I feel like it's kind of the appropriate way to do gore in movies, especially if that's not like, Saw would be different. 
it's obviously a movie about gore <laughs> like but this is suicide squad the suicide squad so there it's a little bit different than that it's not it's not a direct horror movie there are some people i have to mention who are out there trying to shit on disney marvel because of this movie the suicide squad because they're saying that um gosh what was it it was something along the lines of how Finally, DC and Warner are finally allowing James Gunn to show his true self, unlike Disney and Marvel, who made him, who put him in their own little box of constraints for Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm sorry. There's this thing called movie ratings. Um, Guardians was rated, I believe, PG-13. Suicide Squad is going to be rated R. Um, that's not anything about the... That That's just how movies work. I, I don't get why... <laughs> Like, this is not the first time that he's done a movie that's gory. It's not the first time that he did, did a movie that wasn't gory with, 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 um, Guardians. Like, I just... Needless competition, folks. Can we just like things? Let people like things. <laughs> um, but in any case, this is going to be a fun movie. Um, I'm not going to compare it to Guardians because they're clearly very different things. Um... So yeah, I just I just think we're gonna have a lot of fun with it, and that's all that it's gonna matter when it comes down to it. I am very curious, though. I do have to add, what happened to um, Orphan? God, what is her actual name? Cassandra. Um, she was in Birds of Prey, and this takes place after Birds of Prey. Um, so I gotta. Uh, did she get taken by her mother, or did she get muted? And now she's going to come back at this. I probably, I'm probably not going to mention her, let's be honest. I love it, though. I really like her new look. Um, I think I tweeted it some time ago, some years ago, after Birds of Prey, I think it was, um, how the clear next step in her visual growth as a character on screen was to do the black and red. And they did it! So that was really awesome to see. That was one I was really happy to be right about. Moving on to the Shang-Chi trailer. Um came out yesterday, which was Thursday. Um, definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. This movie is going to rock. I know it. This trailer had more stellar fight sequences than the first teaser, more flashback sequences, and just so much cool stuff to pick up. The biggest thing, though, that I'm obviously going to start off with that happened at the very end of the trailer was in an apparent, what seems to be an underground cage fight match, Abomination appears to be fighting Wong. Let me say that again. Abomination from the Incredible Hulk is in Shang-Chi fighting Wong. I'm going to say Benedict Wong. That's the actor. Fighting Wong. Um, that is awesome. We know that he's going to be back for She-Hulk on Disney+. Plus. This is a really cool tease of that. He looks far more accurate to the comics than he did before. I'm assuming that him in the movie is just going to be a really short cameo showing that he's out there in the world causing chaos and breaking bones. For whatever reason, that will tie him into She-Hulk. Maybe he finds his way back to New York after that, or more likely maybe Bruce comes down here, wherever he is, to take him down after hearing that he's here and ends up getting obliterated because he only technically has one arm now, remember? Um, he's not at his peak shape. So uh, as for Wong, you know, uh, he can do what he wants, basically. That's about it. <laughs> I'm not going to question why he's there because he can do what he wants. He's Wong. He has his own person. Uh, another big reveal was that we got to see the Great Protector for the first time. This is the dragon that's going to be in the movie. This dragon has already been 
in toys and marketing pictures. Uh, but this is the first time that we're seeing how it will look in the movie. We see it in the clip of Shang-Chi being uh, presumably tossed into some large body of water. And there the dragon is below the surface. It looks sick. Um, I, I like the design a lot. It's not green. But, you know, we're going to take what we can get because this you know, we can pretty fairly assume that this dragon is going to be the MCU take on Fing Fang Foom, which I am fine with because that name is so racist. Same thing kind of goes for Shang-Chi's father, who was called Fu Manchu in the comics. Um, could you even imagine calling those two characters by their comic book names in the movie coming out of their mouths? I, 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 yikes. It would have just been bad. <laughs> Shang-Chi's mother, or at least whoever his maternal caretaker is, has some kind of nature magic we see. We get to see her in a few clips, but one of them has her very clearly using some kind of Tai Chi uh, body movement to swirl these beautiful green leaves all about the courtyard that she's standing in. Now, Shang-Chi's father, uh, Wen Wu, he is either ancient or they're using the same actor to play his ancestors as well, because we do see him in some of these supposed flashback scenes fighting with the Ten Rings at that point in time as well, assuming they're early on in their existence. Um, to his son, though, uh, Wen Wu is just a gangster and a bully, leader of the Ten Rings organization, uh, which I have no doubt had a lot to do with him moving to America and apparently, according to this trailer, changing his name. That is what the narration of this trailer says, so Aquafina's Katie character must know him as something other than Shang-Chi, and I'm curious about what that name is he's going to choose is. The plot for the movie, in general, we, we can see pretty clearly now, um, it's going to be something like when Wu was his father, he was a hard man. When Shang-Chi got to a certain age, he was allowed to go out into the world and make something of himself. Instead, he kind of disappears, trying to fit into American society and leave his past behind, which is when he and Katie meet and all that good stuff. Then his father wants him back, so he sends his soldiers after his son, finally including Death Dealer, the character who I think is his sister, Xiling. Um, we do get to see Xiling look pretty goddamn incredible in the trailer too. She is in the fighting rink, so possibly going there to meet up with Shang-Chi or to prove that he is not as good as he thinks he is, or to just like make everybody look like a fool with her fighting skills. So um, I have a lot of high expectations with this movie, but it looks like they are fully bringing all of the power behind them and they are going to put out an incredible movie. I'm, I'm just so excited for it. Uh, September is so far away. Um, this was originally supposed to be out already. It was originally supposed to come out on May 7th. So screw you, COVID. <laughs> we now have to wait another couple of months and it's sad, but uh, it's going to be worth it. It's definitely going to be worth it. I am tickled by this trailer. Um, if we're going to get another trailer, awesome. If not, this is probably enough, honestly, to convince people because you got so much cool stuff. Um... I think it's plenty of stuff to draw audiences in. Finally, I'm going to wrap up this episode with some discussion about the plans upcoming for The Amazing Spider-Man. I believe it is issue 74 that the current Spider-Man is going to be ending. Um, it's been a good run. I haven't been reading it, but my husband's a big fan. Um, and just, no, the, all... this is. <laughs> 
this being a shakeup is very interesting because it makes me wonder um, if they have other similar plans and if this is going to be something that's going to stick around for a while and what exactly it's going to change throughout the MCU, the Marvel, in the MCU, the Marvel universe. So I'll read you the, the, uh, it's not really a solicitation. It was from the Marvel website that they announced this with. It says, starting in October, Amazing Spider-Man will return with a story so bombastic that it will take great, uh, take greatest, they didn't uh, type it, the greatest team of web writers and arachnid artists ever assembled to tell it. Kelly Thompson, Saladin Ahmed, Cody Ziegler, Patrick Gleason, and Zeb Wells will team up on the thrice monthly title to shake up the Spider-Man mythos in ways no one will see coming. The saga will kick off with Amazing Spider-Man number 75, where Ben Riley will return to take back the mantle of Spider-Man. Backed by the Beyond Corporation, the captivating clone of Peter Parker is determined to be the best version of Spider-Man there ever was. And yesterday's teaser showed this could have fatal consequences for Peter Parker. Well, that's a lot to unpack. Um, as somebody who is just vaguely, not even, uh, not a pro at the Spider-Man universe at all, but who is aware of the general history of Spider-Man and stuff that's happened with him and characters around him, um, this is a big deal. Ben Riley coming back to be Spider-Man. That's notable. <laughs> ben Riley is, of course, a, pl a clone. I can't talk. A clone of Peter Parker. Uh, he is... There's two clones that are mostly... You get the, the red and black one and then the red and blue one. He's the red and blue one. <laughs> uh, so that's Ben Riley. Um... I assume he's he's gonna be in the Spider-Man suit and stuff like normal. There is a there is a teaser picture of, um, it's kind of like the Superior Spider-Man outfit. So that's kind of interesting that they're having him change into that. I don't know what the Beyond Corporation is. I'm assuming that that's part of what uh, J. Jonah Jameson is involved with. I don't think that's it. He's he's doing some kind of news thing. Um, that's in Silk too. But this is this is interesting. Also, three times a monthly. That is, first of all, a really awkward allotment of... You get roughly four weeks in a month, and they're doing three times monthly. So it's going to be, I guess, three different titles? Or is it two different titles, and one is twice monthly, and one is once monthly? Nothing is really clear yet. <laughs> but the creative teams of Kelly Thompson, Saladin Ahmed, Cody Ziglar, Patrick Gleason, Zeb Wells, I assume those are all listed as writers. Uh, Patrick Gleason does art as well as writing, um, but the rest of these are just writers, so I'm assuming they're all writers. Uh, that's one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five writers for three, potentially three, three different comics. Um, I'm not usually a fan of comics that have two writers doing one story that tends to end up feeling a bit more jumbled than stuff that has just one creator or two creators, period. Um, also notable, Saladin Ahmed is currently doing the Miles Morales Spider-Man stuff. Um, so theoretically he could be continuing with Miles' book and that would be why he's listed here. Kelly Thompson is doing... Gosh, she's she's already spread pretty thin across her Marvel projects. Um, and this latest, after this latest issue of Captain Marvel, I, I really can't help but wonder if they're letting her take on far too many series. Of course, no writer is going to say no because 
money, but they they really need to add diversity to their writers. Um, they need new blood. They're reusing way too many creatives. You get these signs of like like Al Ewing and uh, Kelly Thompson have both shown a lot of signs of being stretched way too thin across the many series that they put out. Um, and this is another one added on to her plate, and I just get a little bit worried about that, how it's going to affect things. Um, also, um, it's, it's, it's possible that this is going to be, you have Ben Riley as the main Spider-Man, so you can assume Peter Parker is still going to be around. They're not going to just start Spider-Man without Peter Parker. So if there's three, if we're thinking there's three comics, it must be Peter Parker, Ben Riley, and then Miles, maybe? Um, maybe Solomon Ahmed is starting an additional Spider-Man series in addition to what he's doing with Miles. Miles is not not noted in the solicitation at all. Um, and maybe there's going to be a Mary Jane series because she did have that amazing Mary Jane series a couple of years ago that got cut short, unfortunately, due to COVID. Um, but I don't know. I'm, it's, it's a very interesting thing that they're actually bringing Ben Riley in as the main Spider-Man. Peter Parker's going to take a step back. Um, the theory that my husband has is that he and Mary Jane are going to elope and get married because remember they made that deal with Mephisto that they would split up, they would end their marriage. Um, and so if they were to get married again, obviously that would be something that they'd probably want to keep under wraps as much as possible, uh, to avoid any problems. So I would also like to take that moment to remind people that if you're doing a one more day type storyline where a male character makes a decision on behalf of his partner that he was going to take away his partner's memories, um and you know end their relationship that he is not the victim there that is the partner who is the victim there so just putting that out there because it's happened more than once in comics but anyway um really really interested in how this is going to go very curious kind of worried about the amount of creators are to the amount of projects that they're going to be um also cody ziegler has apparently worked on the she-hulk series for disney plus um I can't really seem to find if he's written it or if he's consulted or if he's like part of the production team. I don't really know, but he has worked on it. So whatever that indicates, take it how you will, I guess. And that wraps up this episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. Thank you for tuning in for whatever amount of time that you did listen for. I appreciate every comment or question or like or repost or you know share anything like that i appreciate all of that so so much because it does keep this podcast up and going i do not really have a way to support the podcast yet um if you if that is something that you are interested in, i don't have any kind of uh, patron system or anything like that but i am going to be starting up an etsy store for some um alternative culture things such as superhero and um, gosh, I don't even know. You'll, you'll see when I post when I, well, I'll talk about it more later, but that is something I'm going to be selling, uh, some art related to these kinds of things that we all are interested in. So keep, that will be the way that you can, um, support this podcast if you are interested in doing so. The next podcast episode is going to be coming up this coming Monday, which is the 28th of June. That will be our last June episode. Um, and at that point, I'll be going over the comic book pull lists for things that are coming out that coming week. I will also be going over 
whatever happens in news and pop culture between now and then. It's been a bit of a quieter week for the pop culture news, so hopefully we'll have a bit more going on over the weekend and have plenty of stuff to discuss then on Monday's episode. Thank you again for listening. It is officially summer now, so wherever you are in the world, as long as you're in the Northern Hemisphere, which is where it's summer, uh, wherever you are in the world, remember to stay hydrated, don't be mean to people, and always, always get sweaty.